Thanks for tuning in to the Reformation Las Vegas podcast. Our worship series is Forgotten Books of the Bible, and this week we're reading Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. This is Pastor Jason preaching, and I'm glad you're listening. Thank you, and God bless. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. This year our church, the ELCA, remembered 50 years of the ordination of women. 40 years for women of color, and 10 years for LGBT people as pastors and deacons in the church. So many congregations have been blessed by having these leaders. Some of you were here in those early days, and from some of those who participated in breaking those barriers, I've heard the stories of the struggle and worry of those, uh, like one of my dear seminary professors, the Reverend Dr. Norma Cook Everest who in 1980, at the 10-year anniversary of women's ordination, spoke about the fear that existed among the early group of Lutheran female clergy. They were unsure that it would last. Still, they took a step forward and made a place in the church that would not have existed if not for their little moments of faithful resistance. Fifty years later, we can look back and give thanks for great female leaders in our church. People like Pastor Emily Wilhide, who celebrated a birthday this week, former pastor of this congregation. Uh, Like Pastor Marta Poling Schmidt, who for 30 years has served this church in congregations and our synod level and the church-wide organization. Here in Las Vegas, we have been blessed and served by dedicated pastors like Reverend Lois Schuert, Carolyn Arness, Reverend Diane Drachmeinel, and pastors currently serving in other cities like Pastor Kathy Morris, Pastor Stephanie Johnson, Pastor Jennifer Zanow, and so many more. Our current bishop, Deborah Hutterer, is the first female bishop in our Grand Canyon Synod, and they are ones who have persevered, these leaders, persevered in their calling even in the face of insults, aggression, unnamed indignities, and proclaim the word of God over us. I've heard the stories of church members crossing to the other side uh, of the communion line to avoid being served communion by a female pastor. Pastors and deacons in this church have shrugged off compliments and criticisms of their physical appearance, family choices, and more. Even in our church, the roots of patriarchy run deep. This week in the news, we heard of Uh, We may hear the name of the one running for the office of vice president on the Democratic ticket. Uh, The presumptive nominee, Joe Biden, has committed that uh, a woman will be in that role. So already, those who make guesses about such things speculate about whether this will help or hurt Biden's chance of being elected. Interesting stuff. Well, the truth is, for some, that this will be a barrier. And some among us still struggle with the idea of women in power. It's not just men either, if you think that. A recent study noted that 40% of women would not be comfortable with a woman in charge. This book of Esther raises up these issues before even the appearance of the title character. In the Hebrew Bible, Esther is this book that explains the festival of Purim and the celebration of the victory over Haman, the king's advisor who sought to destroy the Jewish people. But before we even get to that, we hear of Queen Vashti, 
So we're going to talk about her today. And in this book, we find this political intrigue, humor, exaggerations. So I guess it's a lot like the way we experience politics in the news here. But today we hear of King Hashverus, who represents the actual ruler of the Persian Empire, King Xerxes I. The king has celebrated with his officials and nobles and soldiers for six months. Then after that party was over, he throws another banquet just for the nobles and the elites uh, inside the city of Susa. And while all the men partied on one side, Queen Vashti held an event for the women elsewhere in the palace. And this was some serious partying. There were white cotton curtains and purple linens and silver and gold couches and marble and mother of pearl. You get the idea? This was excessive. And the men at the feast had been drinking wine by the pitcher for seven days, and the king was showing off his fancy stemware and lavish decorations and all his shiny possessions when he decides to call the queen, Queen Vashti, to appear before them wearing the royal crown. Well, a drunken king doesn't just go and command the queen himself. No, of course, he has people for that. So he sent the eunuchs of the court. And if you don't know what that means, just know that they are men who have been made to be unable to have children and therefore uh, serve the royal house without threat of taking over power. For this reason, they are ones that can go over to the women's feast and give this order to Vashti to come on over wearing the crown. Well, queens wear crowns, right? That seems to make sense. Doesn't seem to be odd unless, uh, like some scholars, we read this to assume she is to wear the crown and nothing else. Ahasuerus seems to order up his wife to present herself for the entertainment of the men at the banquet in a further display of his power as king. And she said, no. In that moment, at least, Vashti was free. The queen was liberated from a life of following the king's demands and briefly in control of her future. But as is the case most often, this act of self-determination would have consequences. And the queen refused the command. This was unheard of, and of course, something had to be done. The queen was no exception to the uh, rule of law. There were laws against such things, so the, the king had to sober up a little and consult with the experts to find out just what it is they're going to do about this grave insult. But again, he can't just go and give the decree himself. No, he, he has to uh, consult with the sages who knew the laws who speak the real reason this offense must be dealt with. This deed of the queen will be made known to all women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands. If this queen is allowed to stand up for herself, then all women might try to do the same. The precarious power held by the king and the noble elite, enforced by the military, upheld by a populace satisfied and satiated with wine and food, would be all under threat if a woman dared to disobey a man. Vashti boldly steps into a new role here. And Pastor Robert Williamson Jr. writes that the king's advisors, 
not the wisest Lot, certainly understood the potential of her actions to empower the women of the empire. So it's safe to assume she did too. She knew what she was doing. And rather than be a queen who lords power over others, she takes a turn as advocate for other women, for all women. No longer content to play the passive wife of the monarch, she takes the lead. Queen Vashti's actions, if only momentarily, upset the balance of power, and the result is she is no longer welcome to come before the presence of the king. She is deposed as queen and cast out. Best case scenario, many think she was actually killed, making room for another to take her title. But we'll hear about her next week. In the news, we hear of numerous attempts to wield power over women, even in our time, even in our country. And we hear it with the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter, founded by queer women of color, and just last week, stories of male congressional representatives using gender to curse their female colleagues. And in many of these instances, we have men in powerful positions that have found themselves indicted by their appalling behavior around women. And this push against females in leadership seems to come from a place of fear, fear of males losing their own power. Oh, what should we fear? In acts of faithful resistance, women across the ages have stood up to assert their dignity, their personhood, to name the injustice of powerful men abusing those they find inferior or those who are a threat to their power by their words and deeds. I mean, we should always honor them knowing that to stand up for oneself does have consequences. To speak truth to power will invite persecution, retaliation, and condemnation. Whenever people stand up to take the lead, in voicing opposition to the standard way of things, they may find suffering. We know this. God, who took on flesh, who invited fishermen and tax collectors to follow him, Jesus, whose own ministry was supported by women and those marginalized by the pe people who were powerful and polite, found death on a cross. Yet in this moment, like Vashti's moment, like our own little moments, opened a way to deliverance, to healing, to a new reality. Vashti's actions, even though they've been deemed criminal and written into law books, cannot be taken back. What's done is done. And those who come after her will know that there is another way to exist. Perhaps they will no longer be beholden to the whims of the powerful. They will no longer tolerate abuse at the hands of men with titles. They will find ways to survive, to open the door for more freedom, to thrive, and for the seeds of liberation to take root. And this is only the first chapter of this book of Esther. The story is just beginning. And as it begins to tell us the story of the holiday of Purim, this festival, when it's celebrated, this story is read aloud. And, and at the names of, of uh, Haman and those who would 
inflict abuse on people. Laughter erupts from the assembly. To drown out those elite male voices, people are dressed in costumes celebrating joyfulness, together asserting the sovereignty of the holy divine who fights for the oppressed, who delivers and preserves dignity and saves all who suffer at the hands of the powerful. Letting all who hear the story, where God is not directly mentioned at all, know who's really in charge. And we can look at the news, we can shudder over most of what we see and long for the way it used to be. Or we can trust that the Spirit of God is still at work in our midst, that the Spirit of God is still moving, she is still making everything new still calling new voices to speak truth and to proclaim eternal life for our sake. Jesus tells his friends, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Men are not granted a birthright to be lord over those who have entrusted them with power. Women, like the first ones at the tomb on the day of resurrection, among their many gifts, have voices that are powerful and are wise and vulnerable and strong and resilient in ways I will never understand. In Christ Jesus, we are all one. And we have been called and commanded by our Lord not to wield power over one another, but to serve one another in boldness, in faith, in charity, and in love. This spirit is making things new. We feel it. It's uncomfortable. It's painful at times. But the spirit is still moving, still bringing new life, moving us out into the world for new things, new callings. There will be hardships. There will be suffering. But God is in charge. And as we faithfully put our trust in God, who breaks these boundaries, who crosses borders, who leads us into the unknown, we will continue to catch glimpses of what it looks like to be a part of that beloved kingdom and that great assembly. Amen.